Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is Travis Phipps, who is the CEO of BattleBridge Labs. BattleBridge Labs is a digital marketing agency, and they work with a number of very large-scale companies, including companies like Digital Marketer. I originally brought Travis on to talk paid advertising strategies, and we certainly touched on that a little bit, but because we got into the backstory of how he started BattleBridge Labs, the conversation took a different direction. We ended up going into how Travis is building BattleBridge Labs, how he started it, how he's growing it, how he's starting to scale the process. And we get into things like how he's able to sell new and additional offers to his current clients. One of the best strategies for increasing your sales and revenue if you are an agency. And also, of course, a great strategy for freelancers and consultants and anyone doing any kind of service-based work. We also go into detail about how Travis packages his offers for clients and how he prices and positions his offers, including some of the things that he tried in the past that didn't actually work and what they're doing now to make sure that they have skin in the game and that they're aligned with the goals of their clients. And this has, of course, helped him grow his company and helped his clients succeed and trust in him to do the job because of how they've structured things. So there's a lot of great information here, and I'm really excited to share it with you today. So without further ado, let's get to it. So Travis, before we get into the nitty gritty of paid advertising, scaling, and a bunch of other topics, tell me what you did before kind of that led you to running BattleBridge Labs and what you're doing today. Yeah, I have been in, I'll date myself here, I've been in the technology, internet, software space since the mid to late 90s. So I worked mostly in technology. I did a lot of staffing. I sold data center space. I was in marketing and actually online marketing before AdWords even existed, which was back within the Overture days which is some of you old folks will know what that is, but did marketing for a lot of different technology firms until 2007 when my wife and I launched our own e-commerce business and we launched uh, an online figure skating store called cherryloop.com and we grew it basically on the back of Google AdWords at the time. From zero, we were competing with other companies that had been around for 50 or 60 or 70 years. We grew it to the third largest online figure skating store in the United States, basically on the back of AdWords and paid advertising. And that was really what really got me excited about entrepreneurism, you know, building that business from scratch, growing it, and then actually sold that business. That was the spark. It was kind of the the meeting of the best of both worlds for me with my marketing and business background with Google AdWords. And I'm very data driven. And so that allowed me to, you know, I finally saw with Google AdWords and, and selling our own products, it was actually physical products. So people would, you know, they needed something, they would type in a search, they would find us, they would click on it and they would buy it and we would ship it to them. It was pretty simple. So that's what really sparked my love of online uh, marketing, but I didn't love the whole e-commerce model for myself uh, because there was a lot of stuff I didn't like about it. I didn't like the dealing with the vendors. I didn't like dealing with relatively small ticket items. I didn't like all the shipping. This was back before Amazon did most of everybody's shipping. So we were shipping ourselves and managing a lot of employees. And so when I sold that business, that's when we started the agency and with BattleBridge Labs. So that was back in let's see, 2011 or 12, something along those lines. And then that leads us to where we are today. Awesome. Now, obviously, when we connected, 
uh, met you at the War Room. You are doing digital marketing for a lot of big companies online. I'm curious about like how you landed your maybe your first client, if you remember it. Like, what was your process to getting that first one to get you started? And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about how you've kind of like expanded out and gotten very big companies to hire you because they trust you to do a good job. Yeah. So since I had been in technology and marketing and sales, essentially my whole adult life, that was relatively easy because people needed the service. They knew that they needed to advertise on Google. Uh, At the time, this was mostly Google. Facebook didn't really have anything going on. There was some Bing and Yahoo advertising at the time. So I was able to reach out to some of those people. They knew they knew it and they just didn't know how to do it. And it wasn't really a thing yet. I mean, there was some some agencies and some people doing it. And then also, since I owned an e-commerce business, I was a charter member of a forum called e-commerce fuel. It's in my humble opinion, I'd say it's the best e-commerce forum out there. And since we own that, this is before the agency, I was known in there. And then for my AdWords expertise with Cherry Loop. And then once we sold Cherry Loop, we started the agency. So we have a lot of e-commerce businesses because of that. So because of the relationships inside of e-commerce fuel, and then also my personal relationships outside of that. So I'd been in, you know, marketing and sales and, you know, doing startups like where there's software and there's different things. We, I actually worked for a company and this was, we would have been in 2002 that was very similar to Facebook. It was kind of like take Google Drive, take Dropbox, take Facebook and take Instagram, wrap them all up into a secure thing. And that's what the company that I worked for. So it was a little bit ahead of its time. But what's interesting about all those things, it was really tough to sell those things. Whereas the this agency where we're, where we're doing online marketing, most people know they need to be advertising on Google. They need to be advertising on Facebook. They need to be advertising on Amazon, all those places. They know that and they just need to do it well. And so it, this is a really easy sell. <laughs> so, so And then it goes from there, the word of mouth spread. Because for a long time, it was basically just me and I was doing managing all of the accounts and doing all the ad spend and had some contractors that were digging through a lot of the spreadsheets and helping out with some of the grunt work. But for the most part, it was just me. And then, you know, we we've scaled in the last couple of years and I can go into that if you want to know how that happened and what we did to do that. Yeah, let's briefly go into that because I'm curious. And one of the things that was coming to mind was I've spoken to several agency owners and had them on in the trenches in the past. I've kind of in the past actually kind of built an agency kind of by accident like last year before I kind of knew I was getting into that. And I learned a lot of lessons, sometimes the hard way. Give us an idea of how you scaled the agency. And then I'm also curious specifically about things like how you price, because I find one of the difficulties of agency work is... You know, if you're project-based, I hear a lot of people suggest that that's the way to go versus, say, charging on an hourly rate. But there's a lot of things in between. So just give us an idea of how you did scale. Yeah. So, and I'll dig into some of our secrets. Some not necessarily proprietary, but it's just kind of sure. my philosophies on pricing and how we do it. But the way that we scale, I've got to say, it was a tough decision. One of the reasons that I got into this you know, probably like a lot of entrepreneurs, I was reading the four hour work week back when it first came out and was brand new. And that's one of the things that got me into this whole entrepreneurial lifestyle. 
And it wasn't because I wanted a four hour work week is because I wanted a, a business that could maintain a lifestyle that I found interesting where I could do what I wanted to do. And our business, even though even in the early days when we were growing Cherry Loop, I used to joke that the people that cleaned our house made a lot more money per hour than we did. And it was mostly because it was just, it's challenging, right? In the early days as an entrepreneur, you're working a lot of hours. And if you take a look at it and you, I don't suggest doing the math because if you do the math every once in a while, you realize you're working for like five bucks an hour, but it was challenging because I wanted to have this lifestyle and it did afford us this lifestyle where we could travel and go wherever we wanted. My wife and I, we homeschooled our daughter's. And that allowed us the freedom to, you know, take our business on the road, you know, spend a lot of time with the kids and then with the family and traveling and doing everything that we wanted to do. And then I knew that scaling, I really struggled over it because when you scale to where we are now, which we've got, you know, roughly 15 in total employees, um, my business partner, Aaron handles a lot of the operations out of our Tulsa, Oklahoma office. It's a whole different beast, right? Whereas opposed to me just working and doing what I want, but I was working 14 to 16 hour days, making really good money, but it was a question of, do I want to scale? Because now other people depend on me. I'll probably have to take a pay cut because you want to take a pay cut in order to scale historically. And it's just a lot of work, right? So uh, I feel like I've gotten the best of both worlds. And maybe it was because I took a while to decide whether or not I wanted to scale and take on those big clients or not just the big clients, but take on the quantity and the employees. Aaron, I've got a great business partner in Aaron who, who enjoys going to the office, enjoys managing a lot of that stuff. I still get to work out of my home office here in LA, do the high level strategy and the strategic partnerships. And it works out really well for both of us because he enjoys that. We're growing it and it's scaling beautifully, I would say. And I think it was because I took a very hard, you know, I took a very hard look at it and scaled it the way that I wanted to. And the way that we scaled it was essentially very strategic partnerships. And one of my friends jokes that it's an, an overnight success that took seven years. And that's exactly right, because it was a lot of the partnerships that we've put in place now. These are seeds that I planted four or five years ago, and they're just now coming, right? They're just now sprouting and, and it's, it's really grown. Uh, you know, so now we're managing somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 million in monthly ad spend. We've got 120 plus clients. You know, what I really like about it is we're able to take because all the ad spend is across so many different clients, so many different types of products and services that we're able to help each and every one of our clients with the aggregate of what we're learning from across the board from all of that. That's also the way that it scales effectively is when you're able to use, you know, those economies of scale. People talk about saving on internet service or office space or bank accounts or accountants, whatever. There's a lot of economies of scale. One of the economies of scale is we're able to take our clients that are spending a million dollars a month and we're able to understand that ad spend on a, just such a great basis. And we can help out our clients that are spending 20 to 30 grand a month and apply that to those people and help them scale to where they want to be, where they're spending profitably a quarter of a million dollars a month in and of itself. I mean, I think that's how we've scaled profitably and successfully and where it, it hasn't broken the back. Like I'm a lot less stressed out than I used to be when I was doing it on my own. Who was your first hire then? Like the key first hire for you? So the key first hire for me 
is probably my business partner. So I, it, well, there's, uh, there's two. So I've got an executive assistant and she, the business would cave without her. If anybody sends me emails, it more than likely 99% of the time, it's actually Jude responding unless she sends me a text and says, Hey, you need to respond to so-and-so. And so she is a key first hire. So Jude's been with me even when it was just myself. And so I would highly suggest if you're an entrepreneur and you're running a, you're a solopreneur or even a small business that you carve out a percentage of what you make and hire a virtual assistant, an executive assistant that can handle all this stuff. I don't check email anymore. There's a million things that I don't do anymore and there's no reason that I should be doing those things. And I haven't done them for a long time. I highly suggest doing that. I feel like I got lucky because, you know, I trained Jude over an extended period of time. I'm just I'm going into this because I feel like it's good for all the people that are listening that that own their own businesses. And it was such a huge it freed me up to do so much more. Those of you that listen to Perry Marshall, he talks about doing the thousand dollar a work or ten thousand dollar an hour work when you're actually doing five dollar an hour work. It's not just about that. It frees you up. It frees up your mental energy and it actually allows you to provide better work for your clients. Because instead of me responding to emails or me booking flights or me doing all the stuff that she does and, you know, adjusting the calendar, I'm actually doing the stuff that makes my clients money. And then in turn, you know, if we're making our clients money, then we make money. And so that is a big one. But then I've got to say, and you may have heard me talk about this at War Room, but Aaron Johnston, who's uh, the president of Battle Bridge Labs and my business partner, he wasn't a business partner to start off with. He was, you know, he essentially did work for me on the side of his own business, but it was, he became invaluable and he's, he's young. He's got me by 20, 20 years. And so, um, that was huge. And I read this book, it's called how to get rich by Felix Dennis. And uh, I try to, it's kind of like my Bible. I try to read it every once in a while, um, just to remind myself about what it takes to be successful and, you know, to have a rich life and to, and to get wealthy if you really want to. So I highly suggest that book, but he talks about having business partners that are young and aggressive. And I didn't do this on purpose, but it was, I, I read this book many, many years ago before Aaron and I became business partners. And that was far and away the best decision that I've made. Uh, you know, I gave up uh, quite a bit of equity and I don't want to go into the specifics of it, but it was well worth it because we wouldn't be where we are today without Aaron and the work that he's done. People talk about, well, I don't want to hire somebody because, you know, I'm, he's much better at everything that I do than I am. And so it's even better than when people talk about cloning yourself he's a better clone of myself and a better younger clone, right? So, so that's, I would say those two hires have been integral to our growth. And then, you know, I can go into a little bit of, of our hiring philosophy and the way that we work, because that, I think that's important. I used to work for a staffing company back in the, uh, I've worked for a couple of staffing companies in the past where, so we did a lot of hiring, a lot of firing. And one of the companies I worked for is now the largest privately held company. It's a company called Aerotech. 
Steve Bushati, who owns the uh, Baltimore Ravens, was the president of this. this. They had a really interesting model of hiring. They hired young people right out of college or not even college, you know, just people that were aggressive and young and and fun to be with. And then they they trained us or trained the people in there to work in their culture and the way that they do things. And that's what we that's what we try to do. We hire young people that are aggressive and want to work and buy into our vision and our belief. And we don't hire people that do what we do um, or have a lot of experience because we want to train them the way that we handle our clients, the way that we look at accounts, the way that we grow things. And we want to make sure that they're a good fit in our culture, which is, you know, we'll never be a nine to five. We'll never be, you know, clock in, clock out. We, you know, work around the clock and we all have a good time. And we really try to have a really good time doing it because life for me, this business is not just about making money and it's not just about building a successful business. We've got to have fun while we're doing it. And I know that sounds kind of trite and a little maybe cliche, but really it's important. It's important to us and to me that we all have a good time. And we want, you know, we spend so many of so much of our time at the office that I want to make sure that everybody's enjoying it, right? They want they want to go to a place that they can enjoy. Yeah, man. No, I love that. Okay. So let me ask this question and then we'll get to some, maybe some case studies of things that you worked on, but because we're going down this road and I like it, when you, you started to scale, it talked about the hiring process. I, I like your perspective on that and the, how critical those first couple of hires were and your perspective on that. When it came to then from a financial standpoint, and you don't have to give the specific numbers, but one of the things that I ran into trouble with was, I don't know if it was trouble, but it just, it became a big pain was the pricing thing. And I know you kind of mentioned some some aspects of that, but I'm curious because you guys offer a bunch of different stuff, funnel creation, optimization, pay-per-click advertising. I know you guys do the Facebook ads. You do a bunch of you know amazing stuff on any kind of paid advertising. So some things I know they're kind of like, you know, you plug them in, there's some adjustment, but they can scale relatively easily. Other stuff like funnel creation is definitely like to some degree, in my perspective, can be a more creative, you know, laborious process, again, to some degree, kind of depends. If you have it systematized, maybe on just the client you're hiring, that's not the case. But I wonder how do you set that up when you then go out to sell those services to clients? And what's your perspective on kind of like selling new offers to clients? And how do you kind of approach that? So historically, one of my problems is shiny object syndrome and trying to go after whatever the new thing is. And fortunately for me, my wife has identified that as an issue. So we're laser focused on the agency. Okay. So that means it's just like, that's what we eat, breathe. That's how we make our money. That's how we're going to grow this business. And and then our core competency inside of the agency is basically paid advertising. So that is managing Facebook ads, Google ads, Bing ads, Amazon ads, um, Instagram ads, you know, anything that's, that's working. And we, we try to stick with paid ads. However, that being said, that's our core competency. That's essentially whenever we take on a new client, um, that's 99% of the time how we get a new client is because that that's what we do. Now, the funnel creation and let's say video creation, because we have a video team that does uh, video creation. We have a studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where we do product photography and we do Facebook videos and uh, we have partners and internal team that handle organic traffic, even though that's not necessarily our core competency. But when our clients can benefit from those services that we offer, 
they're almost always a loss leader. Uh, like when we do video work for somebody, so we're already, it, it helps us make more money. And, and let me explain how that works because uh, we work exclusively on a percentage of ad spend. And so if you spend $50,000 a month on Facebook and our fees are 20% of that ad spend, we're making that 10 grand a month, right? So if our clients can do better, they can have better Facebook videos, they can have better organic traffic, they can have better funnels that convert higher. Even if we take a hit on those, we'll offer those services to our clients. But even if we have to take a hit and where it doesn't really fit our model, but it helps us make more money because if they can convert higher, then we can spend more money on Facebook profitably or on Google profitably. And then our fees end up being higher. And they're happy to do that, right? Because nobody minds paying our fees because our fees are based essentially on formants, right? Because, you know, one of the things that we don't do is we don't require long-term contracts. We're pretty uh, particular about the clients that we work with. So we make sure that we feel like that they can scale and that they're a good fit for us because we expect to be in a long-term partnership for a long time. But we want them to be happy and to be can't imagine living life without us. We don't want them to be stuck in a contract with us. We want them where they can't imagine, where they love writing that check every month because the bigger the, the check they write to us means they made a lot more money. And so that's how the pricing works. And I will tell you this, like, so the scaling is the secret to, you know, what I really like about my agency and our agency and the agency model in particular is this percentage of ad spend historically, a lot of people don't like it because they feel like it incentivizes the agency to just spend more money, but it's not really because since we don't have a contract with you, if we just spend more money and we're not making you more money, then you're just going to fire us. Right? So it's not really incentivized. We're incentivized to make you money profitably and to grow and to scale faster. But what it does is we also take kind of a, an investment strategy. The traditional 80-20 rule applies almost to the dollar here as well. If we take on 10 clients, two of those are going to blow up and spend, you know, a quarter of a million, a half a million, you know, three quarters of a million dollars a month. And that more than pays for the other ones that don't end up scaling and that don't work. And so we won't work on an hourly basis with anybody because it just doesn't make sense for us because nobody could afford us hourly because of what potentially what we can make if we don't work hourly. And when I say nobody, they just wouldn't want to, it wouldn't make sense financially for them. They'd get a much better deal the other way. So I hope that understands and why I like that because I like that scale. I like to be able to, to where there is no ceiling to the growth, like, like lawyers and, you know, in project work, you're basically, if you do project work and you just bill on like a monthly basis, you're still stuck at that dollar figure. Even if it seems like a lot of money to you at the time, it might be a lot of money to you at the time, but it's not, you're never, you know, unless you add on more services or products, you're never going to be able to scale past that. Mm, interesting. I really appreciate that perspective on it because it is fascinating. And I think it, it requires the right business model for that as well, where that makes sense, right? Because you know, you're working with like a certain level of company and they're going to do a certain level of ad spend. So of course, like that will ensure that if you guys are doing what you're doing and you align yourself with the right companies, that you'll be able to make a significant profit for them and for you. So it sounds like kind of like a key component of that is the proper kind of business model. And the second thing is choosing the right client. What, what's your perspective on that? 
Yeah, choosing the right client, business model. And so, and we tried a lot of different business models. What's funny is when I started the agency, I had worked with a couple of agencies in the past and I didn't like this percentage of ad spend model because it just didn't seem right. So we actually dabbled in percentage of profit, like profit sharing, which I really liked because what ends up happening is if your company's not making money, we don't, right? Now, the problem with that is, and this came to fruition, and this is why we don't do this anymore, is that one of our clients, you know, they're okay with doing the profit model at the beginning when you're growing and they're like, oh yeah, this is awesome, right? Because we don't have to pay this bill unless we're making money. But then the percentage of profit, and I always told the people when this gets further down the road, you want the percentage of ad spend because the percentage of profit is going to be a lot, right? It's going to be a big number. And, and that's exactly what happened. They're like, what? It gets run up the pipe and they're like, who are we paying, you know, a hundred grand a month to over here? You know, that's a big percentage of our profit. And so then it ends up not working for anyone because they're not happy. And I'm not happy because we end up having to go to a different model. And so we end up paying on the front end and the back end. So we tried that. We've also tried the flat rate fee and the flat rate fee works on occasion. If you have a client that knows that they want to scale, but not quite there yet, but they still want to work with you. So that works on occasion, but we won't do for the most part where we stick with minimum monthly fees and then a percentage of ad spend. And then the, you know, the choosing the clients because we're both in bed together and they have to understand that it can be a long process that, and we try to be very upfront. You know, we don't make everybody's wishes come true, but we're very transparent. And so we have to, we let them know that the the numbers don't lie and here's what it is. And, you know, this is how much money we've spent. This is how much money you've made. And as long as they understand that going in, because we'll let them know, hey, this may take 90 to 120 days to get where you want to be. And sometimes I have to have that conversation again with them, uh, you know, and remind them that, hey, remember the first you know, 90 days, we, we had some work to do before we we're going to get where you wanted to be. And then like, oh yeah, yeah I remember that because we're going to be working with them for a long time. And in order for us to be successful, we need them to do the work on their end, you know, help with conversion rate optimization, make sure the customer service is done right. Make sure the product is good. Make sure the service is good because, you know, we have some clients B2B and if their salespeople are answering the phone, aren't closing the deals, there's nothing we can do to make them successful. And so choosing clients really important and setting correct expectations and everybody agreeing to what the process is going to look like, you know, and I think transparency is important on both sides. We're extremely transparent. Like we just open up the book. We don't hide anything. We don't like keep everything behind our walled garden. And, you know, in theory, people could come and hire us and, you know, and let us build everything out. And then a month later, fire us. And they have all, they have everything that they need because we, we want to, we want them sure they have all the assets, but that's not going to work out well for them. <laughs> so, so, but they could do that, but we want to make sure that we're all on the same page. You know, it's that old, that age old, help me help you. Mm, I like that. And it's, it's just a good alignment of goals and objectives. So let me ask you this with a lot of the companies you work for, I know you work with a lot of big companies now you do digital marketing for some of the biggest around. What are some of the things you're seeing right now? As of you know the end of 2017, this obviously this podcast will go live. I think beginning of 2018 when you're listening to this, or later. But end of 2017, what what do you see that working right now really effectively? And is there anything that's not working or that's much less effective than it was maybe a year or two ago? 
anything like that broad scope from paid marketing to funnels to anything like that, that you're, you're like kind of making changes with your clients now because of the nature of some things that are working really well and those that are not anymore? That's a great question. And let's get into some actual, you know, action. Sure. What I would say is, and this is no secret anymore, but Facebook advertising, I would say since March of 2016, so what we're looking at, what, a little over a year and a half that Facebook has really taken on a whole new course. We used to do probably 85% of our advertising on Google and Bing and Amazon. I'm about 15% on Facebook. We're about 50-50 now. And so that's not a big surprise, I would say, to a lot of people out there listening to this. And then Facebook video works extremely well. It's just one of those things that if we put a video on there that our click-through rate goes up. And if our click-through rate goes up with good, highly targeted traffic, then we're going to make more money. So Facebook video is really important. Here's the other thing is Instagram. Instagram is really coming along. And and the the nice thing about Instagram is it's on the Facebook platform. So you can do the same, use the same targeting. You can use the same ad platforms and use everything the same. And you just, you know, have one credit card on file with Facebook and then you can advertise on Instagram. Instagram is nice because a lot of people are just, it's very image oriented as, as you know, everybody knows, you know, a lot of times what you'll see on Facebook, if you run your numbers, you'll see that you have a higher conversion rate on desktop traffic than you do mobile. And that's all true, but the volume of the traffic these days, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but most traffic, uh, the majority of traffic anymore is coming from mobile devices. So an Instagram is really good for mobile because you're just going to a picture basically. And so if you just go after the mobile traffic and a lot of times people neglect because it doesn't convert as well because their, their CPAs will be higher. But if you can optimize yours for mobile, whatever that is, your product service, uh, anything, you know, make it easy for them to contact you via mobile, then you'll win every time because so much volume is coming from mobile. So I think that's the big one. So what I try to steer clear from is we try to focus on what's working. Like Facebook was until, like I said, March of 2016, there was some people making it work, but I, th- those stories were few and far between. And every time we had tried it, it, the CPAs were too expensive. And like it was okay for building communities and okay for list building because you could get traffic cheap, but it wasn't really good for actual click to buy stuff. So once that changed, we went full on, right? Like, so I started seeing it. We started getting good CPAs and uh, we started getting good. And just for you listeners out there, cost per acquisition. And then you'll hear me say return on ad spend, which is if you spend a dollar and you make $3, that would be a 3.0 return on ad spend. You just divide your revenue by the ad spend. And so once we started seeing those numbers really good, I started telling all my clients, kind of like a stockbroker, put all your money into Facebook because I've seen this happen with Google, where Google was great back in the heyday. You could just throw money at Google and money would come back at you and it did, you didn't even have to be good at it. And then you got good at it. And then even if you were good at it, it was still difficult to scale and to make profitable and the clicks were expensive. And, you know, now Google shopping is kind of the same way. Uh, it's super competitive. Everybody does it. If you're not advertising there, then, you know, it's just really hard to scale profitably. 
And Facebook is going, that's going to happen. I think it's going to happen sooner than most people think. That's why I'm like, I'm a big believer in let's make the money where the money is now. Let's put everything we have in that. And instead of trying to go after like, I don't know, Pinterest has some market share, Twitter has some market share, Snapchat, you know, but if you can get 95% of the traffic using Google and Facebook, that other 5%, if you get 20% better at Facebook, it's better than being the best Pinterest advertiser on the planet. So, so if that makes sense, that's why in once Pinterest starts working and we start, you know, throwing, then we'll start working with Pinterest. Right. But it's not there yet. And neither is Snapchat and Twitter never has been LinkedIn. Um, I will talk dirty on LinkedIn just because I've never seen anybody. If anybody listening to this has made money on LinkedIn and you're not a staffing company, send me an email. I'll buy you a steak dinner and I want to hear your story because I've never, I've yet to hear anybody um, make money on uh, LinkedIn advertising. And I think that a lot of business to business people think, oh, LinkedIn's where I need to be because that's where my customers are. Your customers are also on Facebook. I don't care if you're the CEO of a multinational corporation, they're watching their nephews play soccer on the Facebook feed. And so anyway, that's interesting. And there's some really cool technology. I think that Facebook is doing some really great stuff with their lookalike audiences. Also messenger ads, you'll hear people talk about. We're experimenting with those and uh, we've had varied success. We haven't knocked it out of the park yet. I've really thought that it was going to be a game changer and it might be in the future, but it's just, it's once again, it's not there yet. So we're dipping our toe in it. I love Facebook lead forms. If you do any kind of lead generation, mm. Facebook lead forms is awesome. It's not for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. It's relatively easy to set up. Anybody can do it. And it's super powerful. I think that it's going to change the way that we create leads in the future. And it is really powerful. So if you do any kind of lead generation, experiment with a lead form campaign, it's really easy. I won't go into the details, but a couple of taps on the phone and you get their name, email address, contact information, ask them a couple of questions and boom, you've got a, you've got a lead and they haven't had to leave the Facebook platform. You didn't have to do anything. And it's a real low hurdle to get people to do. And Facebook auto populates those lead forms with the information that they already have about your customer, which is awesome because it makes it super easy. You know, anything that you can do to lower that hurdle. Dude. I love it. Yeah, that's some gold. Fantastic, man. Well, hey, we're coming up to the end of the hour here. I know you dropped some serious knowledge bombs here. I appreciate that and being so transparent and sharing what is actually working, which is really cool and not just giving us kind of a gist of it, but like deep dive into it. I mean, that was very applicable and I'll be using a lot of that. So thank you for that. So Travis, I know people got a lot of great information out of this. Where can they reach out to find you, connect with you, maybe hire you if they're interested in using your services for scaling their business and their company? Yeah, so you can just send a send an email to me personally at Travis at BattleBridgeLabs.com. If you listen to this whole thing, you'll know that Jude will probably respond to you, but <laughs> send it to there and let them know that you heard from your podcast. We've got a special double secret deal for like our friends and family. I won't go into the details here. Just send an email to them and then I will. It's it's like the the basement bargain pricing. It's one of those things that it lowers the barrier to entry because we had talked about 
you know, choosing your clients. Well, somebody that's, you know, listening to this and, you know, knows, understands the business and has heard this, they will more than likely qualify. And we lower the bar pretty low so that, uh, you know, you don't have to be spending a hundred thousand dollars a month. We can help scale small businesses too. So, um, Travis at battlebridgelabs.com. We'll get back with you. We'll send you a questionnaire, or if you just want to chat or follow up, uh, send me an email and we can also, uh, connect in other ways too. Awesome. Travis, thank you so much for being in the trenches. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Tom. It's uh, great to talk to you again.